Merit. The idea of merit is ingrained in our culture. It begins with our children in school, in which they are rewarded according to their grades, or by being part of a winning soccer team, or by scoring a goal in peewee basketball. Naturally, we expect, we even demand, that they do the best they can in every way. And I freely confess I delight, just like any other grandfather, when one of my grandchildren does well. And it continues right on through higher education. We see this in competitive admissions policies to our better schools, uh, the competition for good grades and recognition, the all-important preparation for the job interview and for that competitive job market. Our economy runs primarily on merit, as those who perform best or take the biggest risk or venture into new areas frequently expect to reap the greater reward. <clears throat> Our legal system is primarily based on merit. We seek justice based on those whose actions are most in accord with the laws that we have established. In so many ways, we live in a meritocracy. It is a fundamental tenet of Western culture and civilization. And this idea extends back to ancient times, back to the beginnings of our civilization. People should be regarded and respected and held in our esteem according to their efforts and, more importantly, the results they achieve. This is the driving force that has built a more comfortable material society and a rising standard of living for much of the world. Now, let me be clear. I have no argument with that system of merit in the material world, in the economic sphere, in worldly matters. All of us should do our best, and we rightly deserve to be rewarded according to the merits of our good efforts. But Jesus is telling us in this parable this morning that this is not the way in spiritual matters. God does not do things by this system of merit. There's nothing we can do to merit His love for us or to deserve His salvation for us. This powerful idea is one of the foundations of our faith and the culture of all Christendom. And it has provided an important path for us to understanding the way of salvation offered to us by God through the life and ministry of His beloved Son, Jesus. In ancient society of Israel, day labor was a common practice. The poor people would gather in the early morning in the marketplace in hopes of being hired as labor for the day. The daily wage, which was frequently prescribed by law, was one of subsistence, and it enabled a worker to earn enough to provide food and other necessities for his family for that day. To not be hired was a minor tragedy, and the worker and his family would have to go without, except for that meager earnings that were provided by a day's labor. Jesus is telling this parable to the rural people of Israel. They knew this system well because they were part of it. The workday started at about daylight. And the third hour was between 8 and 9 o'clock by our method of timekeeping. 
The sixth hour would be about noon. The ninth hour, about 3 p.m. And the eleventh hour, about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And the work day usually concluded between 6 and 7 by our time reckoning. These poor day laborers were not held in very high regard by the religious authorities of the time, the scribes and the Pharisees. This was because they were illiterate for, most, for the most part, and thus they had very limited knowledge of the Jewish law. In the eyes of these religious leaders, they considered them to be unreligious. But these were the people who needed Jesus the most. Now this parable has been the subject of many interpretations over the centuries. And like all the parables of Jesus, it has many, many layers of meaning. You see, all of these parables have the original context and intent of Jesus himself. They're all subject also to scholarly examination over the centuries. And all are interpreted yet again by the person who again tells these stories of Jesus. And that includes, of course, yours truly. Some have said, for instance, that this parable is about the Jewish religious authorities. That the hours in the story correspond to distinct periods of Jewish history. Yet this interpretation sometimes lends itself to anti-Semitism. And it has not been favored by scholars since the horrors of the Jewish Holocaust of the last century. But the meaning of Jesus is very clear. When the master paid the workers, and those who had worked only one hour received the same reward as those who had worked all day, those who had worked long and hard murmured. They murmured under their breath, and they griped, and they complained. They felt somehow they had been cheated. And sadly, we in our time, in our culture of merit, in rewards that are tied to merit, we quite naturally feel some identification with these workers who complained. How, we ask, can that kind of arrangement be fair? The answer, of course, is that in the kingdom of heaven, in the eyes of God, we can never do anything to merit God's mercy and salvation. It is by our faith and the grace of God freely given to us through Jesus that we are saved, and not by our work. Of course, this goes to the heart of the doctrine of belief of our church. We reject the notion of works of supererogation. That's the idea that by performing some extra task or doing some duty beyond that that God commands and expects of us, that we can earn some additional favor in God's sight. Back in my days in the classroom, my students used to ask, can I earn some extra credit to improve my grade? Oh, can't I write a paper or something? By the way, I always rejected those requests. Sometime look in the Book of Common Prayer on page 870. And that's the section on the 39 articles of religion that form the basis of our faith and practice. You'll see there in Article 14 that all this is very clearly stated. Now, this does not mean that God is arbitrary or casual or capricious in the way that He gives us His love. Remember the parable of the prodigal son? Remember how Jesus tells the story of the shepherd leaving the 99 sheep 
to go and seek the one little lamb that was lost. The ways of God are much beyond human comprehension. The story quotes the landowner as saying, Am I not allowed to do as I choose with what belongs to me? This means that God chooses to act according to His love, which of course is beyond our understanding, and not according to our flawed human standards. How wonderful it would have been if the murmuring, griping, fussing workers had rejoiced with those who were hired at the eleventh hour, because this meant that they too could feed their families for the day. How wonderful it would be if our own reaction in our own time to all of God's creation could follow this dimly understood love of God that is so mysterious to us. How different are the ways of man and the ways of God. Oh, how hard the concept of merit dies in the hearts of we imperfect humans. This is the very understanding that led the Apostle Paul to write in his letter to the Christians at Ephesus. And I quote, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. God demands of us only one thing, our hearts. And those who love God will therefore show His love in this life on earth.